Bangor Worldwide has been promoting and supporting World Mission for over 85 years. Our podcasts are free of charge. You can find out more about us at www.worldwidemission.org. We hope you enjoy this talk. Um, Isn't it thrilling to hear about China? And it's wonderful to know of the work of Biblica that's going on and the increasing numbers of people reading God's word. At the beginning of the week, I encourage you to please bring your Bibles with you because coming to Bible readings without a Bible is a bit like buying a McDonald's hamburger and discovering discovering there's no hamburger in it. It's a little bit more than a disappointment. Um, If you haven't your Bible with you, I want you to imagine you have. Or maybe um, you're really techie and you have the Bible in some version on your phone or your iPad or whatever, but let's just um, hold our Bibles if we have them or pretend we're holding them if we haven't. And I want to do something with you, thanks, Jonathan, that I first heard in Singapore in a wonderful church there with 2,000 people in it. And I want you to repeat after me. You're all going to be good Anglicans this morning now. As you know, in Anglicanism, we're into responses, and I want you to get into responses this morning. Uh, Mind you, I did know of a group of American students, sorry, American tourists doing a tour of cathedrals in England. And of course, at one of the cathedral services they went to, an evensong service, they were about the only people in the cathedral, apart from the choir. And when the dean was shaking hands with them afterwards, one of the tourists said, Oh, golly gee, dean, I just love your Anglican lethargies. Um, (laughs) She actually meant to say liturgies, but maybe... Anyway, we won't go down that track. Right, I want you to repeat after me. This is my Bible. I believe this is the Word of God. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. And I can do what it says I can do. I hope you believe that. Those words are wonderful. We discover who we really are by reading the Bible. We discover all that we have, the unsearchable riches of Christ and the unsearchable riches in Christ. And what does the Apostle Paul say? I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Maybe those words are worth remembering. Now, if you were here yesterday, you will remember um, where we finished. We finished by uh, just looking at some verses in Ephesians chapter 4. Just turn to that, please, if you have your Bible with you. And it's interesting that during this week when we speak about the body beautiful or when we're thinking about the body beautiful, there are different parts of the body referred to in this letter of St. Paul to the Ephesians. Um, Speaking the truth in love, Ephesians 4.15. And then moving on to verse 25 in Ephesians 4. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. How's anger often expressed? It's often expressed in words, isn't it? Anger is so often expressed in how we use our tongues and our mouths. 
Have you ever kind of maybe driven out at the wrong time in the wrong place and incurred the wrath of another driver on the road? Have you experienced maybe what they call now trolley rage? Not just road rage. Trolley rage happens in the supermarkets when your trolley inadvertently bumps into somebody else and they just lose it with you. And the words come gushing out. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Verse 28, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful. Notice the part of the body that's mentioned, with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness. How is bitterness often expressed? In words, in the way we use our tongues and our mouths. Get rid of all bitterness. Get rid of all rage and anger, brawling. Remember the brawling bride? God's called us to be a beautiful bride, not a brawling bride. Brawling and slander, the mouth again, words, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Let's just pray. Father, I pray that in the power of your Holy Spirit, you will uphold me this morning, that Jesus Christ may be uplifted. In his precious name, I pray. Amen. Isn't it incredible, the power of words? Words can change lives. Words can transform nations. Think of the power of the words of Hitler in the late 1930s. And look at what came out of his rhetoric and his incredible craft with words. The famous speeches we've been remembering today, apparently, that speech so many years ago of Martin Luther King, I have a dream. The power of words. Will Norris, the American journalist who specialized in rhymes, created the following, and I quote, if your lips would keep from slips, Five things observe with care, to whom you speak, of whom you speak, and how, and when, and where. And how different our world would be, and how different some families would be, and how different some churches would be, if we thought more carefully before we spoke. If we took on board what Paul was saying here, and that we hadn't spoken falsehood, but had spoken truthfully to our neighbor.
You see, I'm sure you've discovered that fellowship is built on trust, isn't it? Isn't it so awful to hear someone say, do you know, I shared something in my fellowship group, or I, I shared something with a dear friend in confidence, but I've just heard it from somebody else. And trust is destroyed. And what is trust built on? Trust is built on truth, is it not? And if fellowship is to be real in the church of Jesus Christ, as God wants it to be in his body beautiful, then we have to be a people who speak the truth and live the truth. A people who are careful with our words, a people who recognize the power of words. And of course, the greatest example of all is the example of Jesus. Look at the power of his words. Look at the wise words he spoke. What did some say of him? No one ever spoke like this man. And not even his enemies could find fault with the words he spoke. No one spoke with such authority. The power of words. If your lips would keep from slips, five things observe with care. To whom you speak, of whom you speak and how, and when, and where. I want to show you a short video that I think will illustrate the importance of how we use our mouths. Here's something cute that someone emailed me today. It's a video of a chihuahua named Dude playing with an English Mastiff named Maggie. And I know we see a lot of animal videos on YouTube, and I get tired of them, but I have to admit, this one is pretty adorable. seen Pepe? <laughs> Sorry, Guillermo. Just in case you haven't got it, Pepe was the Chihuahua, okay? Do you know, I wish I'd just had a video recording here to see your faces. Do you know what the most common reaction was? <gasps> the paramedics are available for those who are having heart flutters, and some will love to give you artificial recreation. Sorry, respiration. <gasps> How we use our mouths, really important. And by the way, could I just say, I have no doubt in a group of people this size and this large, there are many dog lovers here. Trick photography is a wonderful thing, okay? For those who really weren't sure that dogs should ever have been created, maybe it isn't trick photography. Anyway, <laughs> but the power of our mouths and what we can do with our mouths, look at the awful consequences of that funny video. When did we last read the book of Proverbs? Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21. Just wait till you hear these words for an incredible statement on the power of words, on how we use our tongues and how we use our mouths. Proverbs 18, verse 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death 
and life, it can't be more dramatic than that, are in the power of the tongue. You know as well as I do that the words we speak can be words that heal or words that hurt. The words we speak can destroy people, can ruin the reputation of some people. They can tear people down and tear them apart. Or our words can be what Paul encourages us to do three times in Ephesians 4, to build others up. We can destroy people or we can affirm people with our words. Someone said to me recently, do you know I spent 10 minutes with a church leader and I got more encouragement from that man in 10 minutes than I've got from my leader in 10 years. Building one another up. Loveless, thoughtless words can be the cause of immense and profound pain or they can be channels of healing and the keys to freedom. Brothers and sisters, I plead with you in the name of Jesus, who only spoke words of power and purity, be careful in how we use our tongues and our mouths. Be careful in the words we speak. How did Paul put it? Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful, only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Every day this week, there's one of the most wonderful Christian people I know praying for you and praying for me in this convention. She is 96 years old. She was a missionary in Africa for most of her life. She is one of the most wonderful Christians I have ever known. When I go to visit her, I come away feeling I've been at a Keswick convention. 96, and Jesus radiates out of that woman's life. When her late husband was still alive, I called at the little pensioner's bungalow, as they used to be called, to see them one day, peered through the window, knocked on the window because I didn't see anybody there, and two heads popped up from behind two separate chairs. What were they doing? Kneeling, praying. She's one of the people I know who is always speaking words that build others up. Is it any wonder people love spending time with her? She went through what she wants at her funeral service with me recently. I guess at 96 it's good to be thinking that way. And she said, Ken, one of the hymns I want is, What a friend we have in Jesus, Jesus. And she beamed from ear to ear. What an example. The power of words and the power of example, but more of that later. Eric, Liddell, I, Eric Idle set the record straight about a common yet false assumption when he wrote, sticks and, bones may, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will make me go into a corner and cry by myself for hours. Folks, if some of you think that's an exaggeration, let me tell you it isn't. 
I know people who have been almost destroyed through hearing words spoken to them or spoken about them. That old children's rhyme is simply not true. Sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. They do. Some of you will know a man whom I know. And a turning point in his life was when he was a teenager and words were spoken to him by his father. He was at one of the major grammar schools in Northern Ireland. He longed for the attention and the affection of his dad. And one, more, one day he was playing rugby on the rugby pitch and for the first time ever he saw his dad on the touchline watching him play and he was thrilled. He played his heart out that day. I guess better than David Carson and I used to play when we were sworn enemies, Bangor Grammar playing Sullivan Upper. And we were both in the front row and miraculously were still alive, but in opposite teams. And he just played his heart out. And as soon as the final whistle went, blown by the ref, he ran straight over to his dad and he said, well, dad. And do you know what his father said to him? Oh, son, were you playing in that match? He said, something triggered in my mind. And I said, Dad, you're going to notice me. And his academic work at school plummeted. And he was expelled from the school. And he became an alcoholic. And his dad noticed him for the wrong reasons. The power of words, folks, to build up or to destroy. Solomon's absolutely right in that wisdom in Proverbs. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Thankfully, that man I've just told you about was wonderfully and gloriously converted many years later. And God is using him in the most wonderful way in a ministry to alcoholics. And I know some of you know him. The book of Proverbs also says this, Proverbs 15, verse 1, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Proverbs 16, 24, Pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Proverbs 12, 25, Anxiety in the heart of a man weighs it down, but a good word makes it glad. Look at the ministry God called Barnabas into. Look at the words of encouragement he spoke into people's lives. Look at the outcome of his ministry and his life. A good man, full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit. And I submit to you that the church today needs Barnabases all over the world and in every local expression of Christ's body, beautiful. Just this morning, actually, in my reading, I don't know if many of you know this. Um, this is one of the best Bible devotionals I've ever used in my life. It's called Bible in One Year. There are three Bible readings for each day. It's free. Um, this is an iPhone, and I downloaded it free. If you Google or you look up if you're computer literate, 
Bible in One Year by Nicky Gumbel. It is absolutely superb. And one of the readings for today is from Proverbs 21. Just listen to this one verse, verse 6. A fortune made by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a deadly snare. A fortune made by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a deadly snare. What does Paul say again? Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. It's interesting in this chapter in Ephesians how Paul talks about putting off and putting on. Having committed our lives to follow Jesus, there are things we let go of. We let go of the nets, all kinds of nets. And one of the nets we let go of is the net of telling lies, the net of not speaking the truth. I love the story about the bishop visiting a primary school one day, and he wanted to tell the, talk to the boys and girls about the importance of speaking the truth. And he said to the kids, now, hands up if you can tell me what a lie is. And a whole lot of hands went up. Well, son, what's a lie? It's an abomination unto the Lord and a very present help in trouble. <laughs> well, he knew his Bible, but he was getting it mixed up badly. So it conveyed the meaning totally opposite to what it really means. Mind you, some of us as adults can do that too. It is an abomination unto the Lord. But isn't it interesting in how many offices the phone goes? May I speak to Mr. So-and-so, please? Tell him I'm not in. Tell him I'm not in. It's a wonderful story in that book by Stuart Briscoe that I mentioned of him. He, he, he could have had a fantastic career in banking. And he was sent to a bank in Manchester or somewhere one time and somebody phoned looking for the manager and the manager said to Stuart Briscoe, who was a young man, and he said, tell him I'm not in. And Stuart looked at him. What do I do? Here he is, a young guy, top manager, tell him I'm not in. He said, sir, I can't do that. How can I tell him you're not in when you are in? You're standing here. And the manager was raging with him. Raging and let him have it. A very short time later, the manager called him in, said, Briscoe, you're exactly the kind of young man we need in the bank. I'm going to recommend you for promotion. Speaking the truth. The power of of our words. With this I finish and then we move on. I came across this powerful story recently written by Mary Ann Bird, and here it is. She writes as follows, I grew up knowing I was different. I hated it. I was born with a cleft palate. When I started school, my classmates classmates made it clear how I looked to others. I was a little girl with a misshapen lip, a crooked nose, lopsided teeth, and garbled speech. When my friends at school asked, what happened to your lip? I'd tell them I'd fallen and I'd cut it on a piece of glass. Somehow that seemed more acceptable to have suffered in an accident than to have been born different. I was convinced nobody outside my family could love me. Then 
there was a teacher in the second grade whom we adored, Mrs. Leonard. Annually, we had a hearing test in school, and Mrs. Leonard gave the test to everybody in the class. Finally, it was my turn. I knew from past years that I would be asked to go and stand against the door with my back to the teacher. I would be asked to cover one ear, and the teacher would sit at her desk, and she would whisper something over to me, and I would have to repeat it back. Something like, the sky is blue, or do you have new shoes? I waited for her words. God must have put in her mouth those seven words that changed my life. Mrs. Leonard said to me in a whisper, I wish you were my little girl. I wish you were my little girl. Seven words that changed her life. And brothers and sisters, God can use you and me, and he wants to use you and me to speak the truth in love, to put off falsehood, to build others up in the words that we speak, in how we use our mouths. May we go away from this week in this Bangor Convention determined and fully resolved to be a people who use our lips wisely and our tongues wisely, who go away determined that we are going to be people who for the rest of our lives are going to build others up because that's a mark of Christ's body. Beautiful. And then look at what else St. Paul says here. Look at verse 28 in Ephesians 4. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no more, sorry, must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. There's something else we put off, we let go of when we follow Christ. We let go of stealing. We let go of using our hands inappropriately. We let go of using our hands in a way that is contrary to the will and the commandment of God. And for some people, that's a mega challenge. Isn't it lovely to, the way the Apostle Paul is so positive? We don't let go of something that we used to use our hands for and just leave it as that. No, those same hands now are going to be used in a useful way for the Lord that we may have something to share with those in need. There's something for those hands to do just as there was something for the hands of Jesus to do. You know, hands are really important. How we use our hands, so important. Some years ago, I received this uh, birthday card. And it says on it, help. I actually took a photograph of it for you. There it is. But you won't be able to read it out. But let me read you what's on it, okay? 
There were 10 men and one woman. Please note that. This is very significant. There were 10 men and one woman hanging off a rope suspended from a rescue helicopter. They all decided that someone would have to let go because if they didn't, the rope would break and they would all die because you can see the sharks swimming around there underneath in the sea. There were no volunteers. No one wanted to let go. Finally, the one woman who was hanging on gave a really touching, moving speech saying how she would give up her life to save the others because generally women were used to giving up things for men. And you open it up and it says, and all the men started clapping. (laughs) Oh, men, we are so stupid sometimes, aren't we? The women are a step ahead of us the whole time, and we just walk into it every time. And ten of them did. Hands. How do we use our hands? Here's Paul saying, listen, those of you who've been involved in stealing, steal no more, because now you're followers of Jesus. You don't use those hands to take what doesn't belong to you. Use those hands for something useful in the kingdom of God. That's the way God wants it to be. That's the way he's planned it to be. Do you know, it never ceases to amaze me the changes that take place in people's lives when they come to know the Lord Jesus. The old has passed away and all things become new. Only last night, I was talking to a young man who became a Christian several months ago. He works in the police service of Northern Ireland. He said to me, since he was converted and gave his life to Christ, his work has gone up several notches. He's working like he's never worked before, using his hands and his mind and his whole body to give his employer what his employer deserves. That's just one of the many changes that have taken place in that young man's life. Praise God. That's the way it should be. We come to know Jesus We've become part of his body, beautiful, and things change for the better. We become useful in the kingdom of God. Isn't this the way it's always been? Look at the last few verses in Psalm 78. Here's a quote. You needn't uh, turn it up unless you wish to. I love these words said about King David. King David shepherded them, that's God's people, with integrity of heart, with skillful hands he led them. The psalmist has talked about God calling this shepherd boy, David, from looking after the sheep in the fields to a position of leadership in the life of the people of God. And now, instead of being a pastor of sheep, he's a pastor and a leader of people. What an interesting summary of King David's life, isn't it? Tell me this. When you think of King David, do you think of integrity of heart and skillful hands? I guess many of us don't. Why? Because we know that David was a sinner just like you and me. Those hands of David's had not always been used skillfully and prayerfully and for holy purposes. Those hands which had been used so powerfully to protect his flock and protect his sheep and kill wild animals those very same hands had also been used sinfully to explore the intimate parts of a woman's body. And that woman was not his wife. 
She was the wife of Uriah. Bathsheba was her name. The sheep may have been David the shepherd's possession, but the wife of another man was not his possession. And it got even worse because he then arranged for her husband to be killed. And those hands of King David were sinful hands. But by God's grace, he was forgiven. Undeserved. Read Psalm 51 and see the depth and the reality of his repentance. David was broken to the very core of his being. You cannot read Psalm 51 and not feel the pain that was in David's heart as he realized and recognized that he'd not only sinned against Bathsheba, he'd not only sinned against her husband, he had sinned against God. And from the very depths of his being, he cried out for mercy. Have mercy on me, O God, against you, and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Cleanse me, wash me. And David knew mercy. And his repentance was genuine. His remorse was real. His confession came from his heart. And his life was changed. And his affections changed. And those sinful hands became skillful in God's service. Integrity of heart, wise leadership, replaced the selfish waves of rampant lust. Brothers and sisters, what about your hands and mine? How do we use them? Do we use a finger to press a button on a keyboard and a computer to watch something that we know is not appropriate for a son or a daughter of God? With those hands, do we press a button on the remote control and we suddenly enter a world that no Christian should be walking in? What about your hands? and mine, used for stealing, used for hurting someone. Only this week, a few days ago, my wife and I had a call from someone about a situation in their church where a father has used his hands in a way no father should ever use his hands with a member of his family. How do you and I use our hands? Have we been using these hands in some way recently or maybe distantly in the past and we need to repent and tell God we're sorry? And maybe we need to say sorry to someone else too. You see, David articulated and he learned a vitally important principle of life, Psalm 24, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who will stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Clean hands are a mark of Christ's body 
beautiful. And how can we have clean hands? How is it possible? Well, I believe an embarrassing experience gives us the answer to that. If you have your Bible, look at John 13. You will discover there, in the first part of that chapter, that story that many of us know so well about what happened in that upper room. And here is one part, although there's other places we could look at in Scripture, that shows how sinful hands can become clean hands. It was just before the Passover festival, John 13, verse 1. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. This is the context of all this. What's now about to happen is a demonstration of the incredible love of Jesus for the world, for his people. Verse 2, John 13. The evening meal was in progress. The devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. Now this is where we stop. And we recognize the different culture that Jesus lived in. He and the disciples had been traveling. It was the social custom of the day that if you had been traveling and you were coming to eat something together, you would have your hands washed, your feet washed. Your body needed to be clean so that you could eat the food. I remember one time Helen and I were in Uganda. We had an experience of this, away up in a remote part of northwest Uganda. And we gathered with pastors, church leaders for a meal we all sat round in chairs, and someone came in and washed our hands. It was a basin came round, and you washed your hands in it and poured water. And then I noticed those folks there would not shake hands with anybody once those hands were washed because they were now clean, clean to eat the food. And if you tried to shake hands with somebody, they'd give you their elbow. A cultural difference. But it was the slave or the servant who usually washed the feet and the hands. Now, here's the embarrassing experience. Who is it gets up? The servant doesn't appear. Peter doesn't get up. He's busy thinking, Matthew, you need to get up. Start to it. Matthew's thinking, no, he… And who is it gets up? How embarrassing. It's the rabbi. It's Jesus the teacher gets up. And look at how he uses his hands. My, that must have been so embarrassing for those disciples. Have you ever had embarrassing experiences? You never forget them, do you? I remember in Dublin when I was a student at a church one evening, Sunday night in Dublin, I was introduced to a lady. And I said, oh, yes, I know who you are. You're so-and-so's mother. Oh. Do you know what she said? No, I'm his wife. Not a wise use of the mouth, men. Any young men here, please learn from my mistake. I have never made that mistake again. Do you know what my one-liner is now? Oh, I know who you are. You're so-and-so's daughter. <laughs> Can't get it wrong with that. 
Just look at this embarrassing use of hands. Oh, oh sorry, Jonathan. Thank you. I'll be honest, would you ever forget that? I guarantee there are people this morning here, you'll probably forget all the Bible teaching, you'll never forget that. <laughs> Come on. The use of our hands. Something incredibly valued. I've often wondered, was he struck off the register? But it's so embarrassing, but we don't forget the embarrassing experiences. And I guarantee those disciples never forgot what Jesus did in that upper room. And look at what he said. Let's work our way through. Simon Peter, as only Simon Peter could do, protested at what was happening. Verse 6, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, Peter, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And look at Peter's response. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Wow, he's beginning to get it. It's through the life, the death, the blood of Christ shed on the cross that our dirty hands can be made clean. A dirty heart can be a forgiven heart. Look at what Jesus said in verse 10. Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not every one of you was clean. Isn't salvation the most incredible thing? That Jesus, the pure one, dies for us, the impure. Unless I wash you, you have no part with me, no part in me. The cross says it all. I learned as a young teenage Christian, the Christian faith is not about try, it's about trust. It's about receiving what Christ has done for us on the cross. He has made it possible for our sinful hands to be clean hands. Hallelujah. And then the most incredible thing happens. He wants us to get them dirty again, but not in sin, in service. Isn't that right? And that's what Jesus did. He washed their dirty feet. His hands got some of that dust and dirt from their feet, but they were washed clean. 
and he calls us to come to him, and then he sends us out. That's what this convention is all about. It's not just about coming to Christ. It's, been go it's about going out in the name of Christ. We come to him with sinful hands. Through the cross, we're made clean, forgiven. We have a brand new start, and he calls us to go out and sends us out again to get our hands dirty in his service. That's what it's all about, building others up helping the poor, preaching the gospel, encouraging one another, acts of service, deeds of kindness, gestures of grace, missions of mercy, using these hands for the kingdom of God, making a difference, an impact in the lives of so many people. Do you know, I was delighted Jonathan led us this morning, and I'll tell you why. Because Jonathan's one of a team of people without which this convention would not happen in the way it does. They spend hours working behind the scenes. Most of us never see them. But without their ministry, this wouldn't be happening. Working away faithfully with their hands, their heads, every part of their body. You see, they've caught a vision of the priority of service, and that's what Jesus is talking about here. Look at how he applies teaching to what he has just done. Verse 12 in John 13. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you, he asked. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. There it is, folks. Go out and serve. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. We started with the power of words. We're finishing with the priority of service and the power of example. The example of Jesus, whose example we're to follow. He calls us to do all kinds of things in his name. Caring for the homeless, feeding the hungry, cleaning floors, loving our families, stacking chairs, visiting the sick, befriending the lonely, and on and on and on I could go. What does it say in the banner in this church? Many parts, all doing all kinds of things in the name of Jesus, but one body, beautiful. It isn't the throne that's the symbol of Christian service. It's the towel washing the feet of others. Jesus said, I've given you an example. Now go and do what I've called you to do. Isn't example a powerful thing? We have five grandchildren. Our youngest started school today, so you know what we're feeling like. Just imagine what his mum's feeling like. One of our daughters, when her eldest son was a, a little boy, about three years old, he lost one of his cars one day. He looked everywhere, in the boxes of toys and everything, could not find this car. And then the mum saw him disappear behind a settee. And suddenly from behind the settee, she heard, praise the Lord! <laughs> she had never heard Mikey say anything like that before in his whole life. He came out with the car. She said, Mikey, where did you hear that? Oh, he said, that's what granddad says when he finds things. <laughs> the power of example. I never knew it. I didn't even realize that's what it said. Now, let me tell you, folks, I'm telling you that not to make you think I get it right. I get it wrong many, many, many times. 
I tell you that to show the power of example. Others learn by your example and by mine. And Jesus says, I have given you an example. I want you to go and do likewise. And how does this chapter, uh, this passage finish? Verse 17. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Folks, there's the challenge to you and me this morning. If we know these things, the blessing comes when we do them, when we serve him. May your tongue and may mine, may your hands and mine be used for the glory of God, the building up of others, and the sharing of Christ's truth and love in humble service. That's part of what is body beautiful is called to be and to do. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for your presence with us this morning. Thank you for the example that you have given us of humble, loving, selfless service. Lord, so fill us with your Holy Spirit that we may leave this place and go out in your name, prioritizing service and following your example. In your precious name we pray. Amen. We trust you've enjoyed this podcast. If you'd like to make a donation to support the work of Bangor Worldwide, please visit www.worldwidemission.org slash donate.